You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. The body of Christ has been called to seek and save the lost. This message is from part one of our series, The Greatest Generation, where we are learning that in the span of one generation, an entire people group can be lost or won for the cause of Christ. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. So I want you to open up to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2. We're starting a new series today called The Greatest Generation, and it has to do, um, the idea came from really uh, this portion of scripture I'm going to read and talk about at length today, but also from this speech that we heard from President Reagan years ago, where he tells us that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. From, from complete annihilation. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And if you're looking for a title for this message today, <clears throat> I would write down this title, Extinction. That's where we're going to start. And I want to share a story with you. I'm kind of to soften the blow this morning, give you a little bit of a funny story. So as you know, I've got a bunch of kids. Um, my oldest one is Noah. Noah just turned eight. And uh, he's, my, he's my man. We got him a little bike for his birthday, so his knees aren't dragging the ground anymore on his bike. He's excited. It's even got, the, uh, it's got gears on it, which is a new thing for him, right? Um, it's got hand brakes. He's pumped. It's orange. He didn't care about anything else. He just said, Dad, it's just got to be an orange bike. I said, what kind of orange? I don't care. I don't care. It just needs to be orange. I was like, all right. So we found an orange bike. And... Uh, he was a happy camper. But my, my oldest son, Noah, um, we experienced together something that uh, was incredible. Last year, I got to take him for the first time uh, to an Ohio State Buckeyes football game. Right? Any, any, any state fans in the house? Yeah? Okay, good. Good. So I'm among friends. All right. Um, they are God's team. Amen. Um, God's ordained team. Anyway. I can't theologically prove that, but I'm pretty sure it's true. All right. So this is a day, to be honest with you, that I got to set up because it's a day that I've been looking forward to for years. I remember the first time my father took me when I was young to an Ohio State football game, and, and he looked down at me, and I looked up at him, and it was this magical moment of the band running out on the field and, and you know, the passes that were being caught and the touchdowns that were taking place and the, and the utter domination that was, that was happening inside the shoe from the Buckeyes. And, and I, for years and years, longed to have those same moments and memories with my oldest son, my other sons and daughter as well, right? I was excited about it. And so to say I was excited about it is a little bit of a understatement okay um we got we got jerseys we even got those like buckeye nut necklaces you know that that only normally tourists get you know i mean i got those i got them we got the urban meyer like coke cups that cost 55 dollars to put water in i mean we got everything right i was so excited and, and so on the way to the game you know we're listening to <laughs> i put on my my ipod like all the band songs, you know what I'm talking about, from, that Ohio State plays. We're, we're playing them. It's awesome. And, and we're going to the Skull Session. It's just this incredible thing. And so on our way there, I'm like, no, are you pumped? And he's in the back seat. He's like, yeah, Dad, I'm really excited. I do have a question, though. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, do they have hot dogs there? <laughs> I said, yeah. Yeah, buddy, they do. They, they do. He's like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm really excited. So, he said. <laughs> so we pull up. True story. 
we pull up, you know, we park and we're going around and we're seeing all the people that are there and, you know, and they're tailgating and everything. And, and we grab our tickets and we walk in and we hand them. And, and, he, and while we're walking in, you know, we're in this crowd of people and he's like looking around. I'm like, what's up, buddy? And he's like, Dad, I'm just wondering, you, you did tell me they do have hot dogs here, right? <laughs> yes, no, they, they do have hot dogs. Okay, okay, cool, cool. We finally we go up and get our seats, and I'm, and I'm telling him, you know, we're pointing out the Jumbotron, and I'm, I'm pointing out the tunnel where the band's going to run out, where the team's going to run out. I'm like, all right, you're going to want to watch here. There's going to be a poof of smoke, and, and the band leader's going to come out. He's going to tilt all the way back, and you're going to be like, whoa, he's going to hit the ground and fall, but he's not going to. It's going to be awesome. He's like, really cool, really cool, Dad. Okay, awesome. And he stands up on his seat, and he's looking around, and the band starts running out, right? And everybody goes crazy. Over 100,000 people are going bananas. And I look over at my son. This is the moment I've been waiting for. And I see my son doing this. Just looking around. And I'm like, no, what's going on? What are you looking for? He's like, have you seen that hot dog vendor anywhere? I'm like, are you kidding me? Look at the field. These tickets cost me 100 bucks, kid. You know what I'm saying? So throughout the game, this continues to happen. He's not interested at all. He just wants a stinking hot dog. Finally, I'm like, all right, let's go. So walk down, get in the concession stand line. We stand there for 40 minutes. We make our way up to the front. And I'm like, we'll take two hot dogs. And Noah looks at me and goes, no, 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 I don't want a hot dog. At this point in time, my, my parenting skills were tested. Because <laughs> I wanted to take him and throw him on the field at that point in time. And I looked at him like, this is all you've been talking about the whole time. What are you talking about? And he goes, well, Dad, I didn't know they had pizza. That's what he said. I'm like, you're not getting pizza. Two hot dogs, please, right? Drove home that day. My ego was a little bit crushed. My dreams were dashed by my, at the time, seven-year-old son. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because it was heartbreaking, and I wanted to share with the pain. Like, I want you to share the pain with me, right? Not just that. It demonstrates something that's really foundational for us to understand as a church. It's the generational axiom. If you're taking notes this morning, I would write that down. The generational axiom. A generational axiom says this, and, and this is what was at play and was at stake that day. Number one, the first generation builds it. This applies to business. This applies to uh, being a sports fan. It applies to many things, really. But the first generation builds it. The second generation inherits it. And the third generation departs from it. This is classic business. The, the, the grandfather builds this company. He's got the dream for it. He's the entrepreneur. He sweats. He labors. He bleeds for it. He prays for everything. You know, he puts down everything for it, and he builds it. Then his son inherits it, and then his grandson normally sells it off. And so that was what was at play that day, and it brought about a great truth for me and a a good thing for us to remember, too, is you raise your family God's way um, through the Buckeyes. Um, it's important to remember that we are never more than one generation away from not having Buckeye fans in our house. <laughs> we are never more than one generation away than not having Buckeye fans in our lineage. Now, I know that sounds weird. It sounds strange. And it kind of is. It's supposed to be kind of funny. But the fact of the matter is the same thing, the same truth applies to us as a church. The same thing that applied to my son is the same thing that applied to what President Reagan said. And it's this idea of truth. And the gener generational axiom applies to truth as well. And understand this. And if you are taking notes, write this down as well. The generational axiom of truth. 
First generation accepts truth. This would be like our grandparents, or maybe our grandparents' grandparents, and they would say, um, maybe you would hear this, maybe you could even finish this statement. They would say something like this. The Bible says it, so I'm going to do it. The Bible says it, so I'm going to do it. They accept truth. The second generation assumes truth. A big difference between accepting truth and assuming truth. It's not that assuming people in the generation that assume truth don't accept and believe the truth. They just assume that everybody else accepts the truth as well. So um, this, is, this is like when you would, this is a generation that would, you know, a question you might ask is like, well, can I do this or can I do this? And somebody who assumes truth would say like, well, this is wrong and that is right. And if somebody says, well, why is that wrong? Somebody who assumes truth would say, because it's just wrong. I mean, it's just, it's just wrong. That's an assumed truth. You understand that? Acceptance of truth, assumption of truth, and then the third generation or the next generation challenges and departs from the truth. We are never more than one generation away from the truth becoming extinct in our nation. I'm not just talking about freedom. I'm not just even talking about church. I'm talking about truth in general. The biblical standard of morality, the biblical standard for, uh, for ethics. We're never more than one generation from it completely disappearing. Everything we've worked for, everything we've prayed for, everything we have, we have cried for and wept for and bled for and sacrificed for and gave to and trusted for and hoped for, everything gone in one generation. Extinct, eradicated completely. You say, I, I think that sounds like a little bit epic, Travis. Oh, okay. Okay. Let me, let me uh, logically show you why you're wrong, Okay. I love that you're quiet today. It just inspires me more. Okay. <laughs> this year alone, just like last year and the five years before it, if it's anything like it, in 2014, at the end of 2014, over 4,000 churches will close their doors permanently in America. 4,000. 4,000 will shut the doors completely, close them down 100%. That's a strong statistic, isn't it? It pales in comparison, though, to the 3,500 people that leave the Christian faith daily in America. In America alone, over 3,500 people daily walk away from the Christian faith. It's estimated that in the next generation, between 3 and 4% of students who grow up in our next generation only 3 to 4% of them will consider themselves Christians. How did this change? When did this happen? <laughs> How did it happen so quickly? I'll tell you why. Because we are never more than one generation away from losing the truth. From extinction. 100%. I got to tell you, this is where we are now. This is where we are. And if we don't change this, and this is when I'm going to start pressing in a little bit, if we don't change this, there is no resurgence. There is no bounce back. There is no upside. It ends. And you're like, well, what about Scripture? What about Scripture? Scripture speaks of the day. 
that the world will turn away from Jesus completely. You know that. Scripture speaks of the day where we will, call, where we will be called as Christians home because the world has so turned from Jesus Christ. And so what I want you to understand is that you are the last line of defense. Amen? Amen. You can preach back to me today if you want to. You are the last line of defense. Amen? Amen. There is no other line after you. If we don't change this, it does not change. And I love you, and that's why I tell you that. If we don't step up, ain't no one going to step up. It dies. Now, just to show you what extinction looks like, I provided a couple pictures for us today just to kind of illustrate some things that have gone extinct. Okay? So let's, let's throw up this first picture. Obviously, this is a Tyrannosaurus Rex, right? He's kind of terrifying. He went extinct about 20 years ago. Next. Uh, this is a woolly mammoth extinct. Next. This is unfortunately an extinct animal. Um, this is an actual photo of a saber-toothed tiger. I don't know if you can tell the detail there. Yeah. Next. This is a weird, like, zebra horse called a quagga, something along those lines. It's extinct. Um, yep. This is a dodo, extinct. That's a hamster, not extinct. <laughs> and now we're going to get to some really legit things that are extinct, okay? Um, oh, yeah, this is, a pig, this is called the pig's ear fungus. Unfortunately, it's extinct as well. But here's the real unfortunate ones. Yeah, squeeze-its. Squeeze-its are extinct. Next. Next. Crystal Pepsi, extinct. Extinct. Next. We got, yeah, yeah. Remember this? High C? How many of you grew up on this stuff? Yeah, exactly, right? Exactly. It's, it's, it's extinct. It's gone. You can't get it anymore. It's gone. I know. Sad, right? Pales in comparison to the next. Next. Surge. Remember this? You know, they took this off the market because it was proven to cause ADD in adults. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you drink this stuff for days and you could, you could cure a crack addict because he wouldn't be addicted to crack anymore. He would, where's my surge? Seriously. Next. Yeah, right there. Jello, pudding pops. Can I just ask, when did this slip out of our generation? When did this happen? This is a tragedy. The day that Jello pudding pops left our hands in the nation is the day our nation started its demise. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> These are things that went extinct. And lastly, lastly, we have MC Hammer, extinct. <laughs> he was too, apparently he wasn't legit enough. All right. These are all things that have gone extinct. And I show you these pictures because I think oftentimes we don't think that we could go extinct. But the reality is, Scripture even shows us that in one generation it can shift. Look at this. In Joshua, I'm sorry, in the book of Judges, there's a story about Joshua in the next generation. I want to, I want to read this to you, okay? In Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 6, we read this. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders 
all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Hares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. Pause. Don't read ahead. God had done some incredible things through Joshua's generation, hadn't he? But let's start at the generation before that, at Moses' generation. Arguably one of the greatest movements of God in history. Literally spoke to Moses from a burning bush. Called him out of being a, a runaway murderer who became a sheep herder in the desert. Right? Speaks to him, calls him, commissions him. He says, go to Pharaoh, tell him the I am sent you and to let my people go. And Moses goes. He says, hey, Pharaoh, what's up, man? Uh, just want to let you know, God sent me. And he says to let his people go or there's going to be some problems. Pharaoh's like, no way. Moses is like, I told you. Backs off. God sends plague after plague after plague. Finally, Pharaoh releases the children of Israel out of slavery, out of bondage. They leave. And when eventually, Pharaoh gets mad about having to get up and make his own iced tea. So he's like, hey, let's go back and get our slaves. This isn't fun anymore. So they venture out into the desert to go get their slaves back, to get the Israelites. And then what happens? What happens? Moses stands at the edge of a sea, lifts up his staff, shoves it into the ground. And what does God do? He parts the Red Sea, the Israelites cross, and the Egyptians get buried alive in the water. God moved. Not only that, but, but God brought, brought, led the Israelites with fire. He, he literally made water come out of, out of the desert where there should be no water. He made, he made food to rain down from the sky for them. Can you just imagine how awesome that would be? Food raining from the sky. Thank you. I'm just saying, like, a dream come true for some of us. All right. Um, Moses' generation. Not only that, but God handed down the Ten Commandments to them. I saw God moving incredible. And so then you have Joshua. Joshua leads the, the children of Israel, the people, into the promised land. You know the song says Joshua uh, won the battle of Jericho. He marched, around the, he marched around the walls, you know, and the walls came tumbling down. Incredible way to see God move. Uh, they crossed over the Jordan River and God parted the water. He gave them the Ark of the Covenant. They carried it into battle. God said, I will give you victory in every battle. Joshua, in one of said battles, raises up his hands and says, God, I need some extra time on this day. I need the sun to stand still. If you make the sun stand still, I'm pretty sure we can take out this army. God's like, oh, no problem, man. No problem, Josh. Makes the sun stand still. These people saw God move in an incredible way. And yet in the very next generation, they walked away. Acceptance, assumption, challenge, departure. In one generation. As we read in this next scripture, it says, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How can it be? After being brought out of slavery, 
after being brought through the wilderness, after being ushered into the promised land, after, being, after uh, having been given victory after victory after victory, that these people did not know God and walked away from him. I would say this. I would say, and if you're taking notes, I would write this down. Point number one is this. When our kingdom becomes more important than God's kingdom, we lose the next generation. When our kingdom becomes more important than God's kingdom, when the building of our kingdom becomes more important than the building of God's kingdom, we lose our next generation. And I want to tell you some truth today, church. We live in a generation that cares more about their kingdom than God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. Now you might say, preach it. You talk about those sinners. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about church folk. They care more about the success of their church than the kingdom of God. Care more about the colors of the pews than reaching people for Jesus. Care more about the state of the parking lot than they do about hungry orphans that we are accountable for. Yeah? When we build our kingdom and tear down God's kingdom, we fail. And we lose the next generation. A couple years ago, some of my friends were moving to Columbus and looking for a house. And they finally found one and going through all the proper things to do. And came down to one of the last inspections, which is a termite inspection. Anybody ever had termites before? Not a fun thing to have, right? And so everything's good. Everything's checking out. And they finally have this termite inspection. And, and the, the inspection comes back. And the guy's like, listen, I, there are termites in that house like crazy. And although you might not see it now, it's going to mess up your foundation and your walls. It's going to cost a lot of money. I, I wouldn't recommend that you purchase this house. You know how termites work? It takes a long time for termites to affect the integrity of the walls and the foundation in a home. They gather a colony that grows and grows and grows and grows. And you can't really see what's going on in the walls or in the foundation. But what's taking place is that they are building a kingdom inside of the kingdom. They're building their own house inside of the house. And eventually, because they are building their house, they are demolishing the integrity of the overall structure. And I'm telling you, this is what is taking place all too often in our churches today. That's okay. I'll just keep going. I was waiting for you, but I'll just keep going. This is what has taken place all too often in our churches today. It's called consumerism. Now, Jesus has a very delicate way of dealing with consumeristic Christians. Right? I mean, we all know Jesus, the soft, kind, gentle, uh, sheep-carrying shepherd who glides from place to place. Right? Obviously, he's got a soft, kind word for Christian consumers. Right? Well, we see this in John, the book of John, chapter 2. In John chapter 2, <clears throat> uh, verses 14 and 15, Jesus and his disciples show up at the temple, their church, right, to worship God. And they walk through the temple yard, and what do they see? They see all these people that are selling goods and animals inside the temple yard. These are consumers. These are people that are building their kingdom in spite of tearing down the overall kingdom. You get that, right? Yes? You with me? Yes? Yes? You feeling okay? Yes? All right, good. So this is, this is who these people are. They existed back in Jesus' day, too. Now, what did Jesus do? 
Did Jesus walk up to them and say, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be consumers. You're tearing down the kingdom of God. What does he do? Jesus goes over to a corner quietly. He gets out his arts and crafts supply kit, and he braids together a whip. And he walks over to said consumers, and he drives them out of the temple, yelling at them and kicking their animals. There's a joke there somewhere. Okay? Literally driving them out of the temple. Why? Because Jesus recognized the fact that we cannot build our kingdom in spite of building God's. What happens when you build your kingdom and realize that you're the only one in it? We live in a nation that, that we live in a world, we live in a culture, we live in a church generation, a churched generation that thinks it's all about them. I just want to say this as clearly as possible. I love you, but it's never been about you. Never. Oh, is it about, is it about me? It's not about me. And I want to make this very plain and clear. I try and spend time with as many people in our church as possible. I love it. It's a passion of mine. But I want you to know, if I never get to have a sit-down coffee with you, that's okay as long as you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's not about me. This thing needs to live well beyond my years. This thing needs to be more important than my name, than your name, than Covenant's name, than any of our names collectively gathered together. This can only be about Jesus Christ. That's it. And we can clap and we can get excited about that. But the fact is, we are not living it out correctly because we are still more concerned about our, our kingdom over God's kingdom. And that's what kills us. We cannot let our preferences rule. Ooh, that hurts. And I love the younger generation. I love my generation. Because they say amen on that, not knowing what's in store for them. Right? Some of the older generation, you're like, I know, it hurts. It's hard sometimes to hear dubstep on a Sunday morning. It's not what I'm used to. I was, I was raised on some hymns and quartets, and so this is a little bit of a stretch. And the younger generation is like, yeah, get that, take that, take that, take, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> of dancing and moving, you know what I mean? When the generation behind us, they weren't necessarily even allowed to clap in church, let alone even say amen. And we forget that. But listen to me, younger generation, there's going to come a day when you're going to be challenged on your preference. Can I get an amen from some old folks? <laughs> I love it. It's going to be a day. Everything comes full circle. Who knows? Maybe in the next couple of years, hymns and organs will become popular again. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter, though. It doesn't matter. Do our preferences, do our preferences ever change our mission? Heck no. No way. Mission trumps preference every time. And yet we live in a generation that says, my preference over his mission. And when our preference rules over our mission, we do not complete the mission and we lose the next generation. And truth is eradicated and goes extinct. We can never let our preferences overrun our mission. And you say, well, what does that mean? How far are we willing to go up until sin? What do you mean? We'll push it till it's sin. 
what are you you saying? That means we'll do everything short of sin to reach people for Jesus Christ. That sounds a little extreme. Yeah, that's because we follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. The man who spent more time with people that didn't know God than people who did. The people that spent time with prostitutes and drunkards to the point where people said, like, is this dude a drunk? And Jesus is like, I'm not a drunk. I just hang out with people that don't know God. A person who demonstrated such love that the world has never seen and never will see to that point. This is who Jesus was. This is who Jesus is. This is who we take our cue from. The man, the Messiah, the Savior that said, I came to seek and save the church. No. I came to seek and save the lost. Now, I'm going to be very upfront and candid with you. I love you. I keep saying that over and over. I don't know. It's true. It is true. But i got to say this because I feel like I'm speaking to family. Yeah? Okay. Sometimes that's a bad thing. Okay. Um, I love you with all my heart, but i got to tell you this. And this is not building a platform for myself or my family or for our charter families that moved here, anything like that. But i, I got to let you know this. I did not uproot my life and uproot my family and fast and pray and bleed and sweat a lot and cry to plan a church in Columbus that would only ever reach churched people. Never. Ever. The reason that this church exists is to reach people that don't know Jesus Christ. How do we win a generation to Jesus? Well, apparently we need some more programs. We need some more events. Obviously, we need to get some more potlucks on the calendar. Um, We need to, no, 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 you know what we need to do? We need to show them Jesus. We need to show them Jesus. We need to be Jesus. Yes? That's it. It's not going to be programs. It's not going to be events. I said it earlier. I'll say it again. It's not a pastor that will save you. It's not a worship experience that will change you. It's not a church that's going to set you free. It's only by the saving nature through Jesus Christ and His atoning blood that you can be changed. That's it. And if we as a church are not telling people about Jesus, newsflash, we're failing. That is your purpose. That is your mission. If you fail to tell people about Jesus and you as a Christian stand before God, you will stand before God as a failure. I'm not talking about the status of you getting into heaven or not. Put that on the side burner, all right? That's not what we're talking about. For those of us who know Jesus, you are called to this singular purpose, to seek and save the lost, to make disciples, to be fishers of men, to tell all the world about Jesus Christ. And it's the one thing that we don't do. Tell me why. We fail to see the need to pass on the baton. Now, I've got a a guy in my Sea Life group, one of my Sea Life groups, who was a track coach at a local high school. And I had a conversation with him the other day, and I was like, hey, so tell me, you, uh, you, know, you have relay races that you, you know, your team does and everything. He's like, yeah. And I said, what's the most important part of a relay race? 
You know, is it getting off the starting blocks correctly? Is it, is it the baton handoff? Is it the type of shoes you wear? Like, what is it? He's like, well, it's a combination of things, man. He goes, completely honest with you. Um, you know, I would say getting out of the starting blocks and the handoff are both incredibly, obviously, important, right? And how you finish is incredibly important. He goes, but I will say this. If you drop the baton and the handoff, it's over. If you drop the baton, it's over. For us as a church, this could not echo and ring more true than it does right now. Habakkuk 2.2 tells us, it says, write the vision down, make it clear, make it plain, so that he who reads it may run. The idea is that we should be able to hand off the vision and mission of this church so clearly to the person in front of us, right, the next generation. We should be able to hand it off to them so clearly that there is no lag time, that there is no stagger, that we're not gripping on to it and holding on to it. We should be able to hand it off to them so smoothly that they take it and run. They should take it on the run. And yet we spend no time pouring into the generation behind us. We destroy bridges. We don't create bridges. Scripture talks about the older men pouring into the younger men. And the older women pouring into the younger women. And we don't do that. I know our music is different here. I know we have a big screen. I can't help that. They put it in. It got bigger after we got here. That was not my doing. <laughs> but I want you to know, age is of irrelevance in the kingdom of God when it comes to living out the purpose and dreams you were created for. I'm all for retiring. I'm never for spiritual retirement. You are never called to spiritually retire from the kingdom of God. In fact, your greatest days come when you are older, when you're able to take the wisdom and the knowledge and what God has taught you and pour it into the generation behind you. And yet we have lost that. We need you, older generation. We need you, grandfather. We need you, grandmother. We need you. Show us what it looks like to be a Christian father. Show us what it looks like to be a Christian mother. Show us what it looks like to be an 87-year-old man who has walked with Jesus for 50 years. We need to see that. Younger generation, we need to look for that. We need to seek them out. Well, they don't get me. Yeah, you don't get them either. Maybe they smell funny. They think you smell funny too. Mostly because you don't shower. You see what I'm saying, though? This is a plan and a ploy from Satan. We got to hand off the baton. We got to run wild. <laughs> we got to take it, and we got to take it to the next generation. We have to, and if we do not, it doesn't happen. Now, I'm just, I hope it's okay. Uh, I'm just speaking from my heart today about this subject because I'm very just. Um, I'm just very broken about it. I just, I just am. I, I, I spend time um, intentionally during the week trying to get out into our city and, and drive around and meet people and be places where there's not Christians. And, and the conversations I'm hearing are just heartbreaking. It's not that people don't want to hear the truth. It's that they don't want to hear the people who tell them the truth because they're so hypocritical. You know? You know how to change a generation? Be Jesus. 
And maybe you might say, well, I don't know all the theology. Just, just, just be Jesus. Well, I don't even know how to, like, the, the words to, to say to lead someone. Just be Jesus. What's that mean? That means love individuals on another level. That means show them love. That's it. If you are a parent and you want to raise your children to be like Jesus, stop talking about Jesus and start being Jesus to them. Stop just talking about church and start showing them what it means to be Jesus. You know how to raise children that hate Jesus? Talk about Jesus all the time and then act a completely different way. Because your kids will grow up and say, that's what you said, that's what you did, you're a hypocrite, I don't want anything to do with it. If we want to reach the next generation for Jesus Christ, we have to show them Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. we got to show them Jesus Christ. we got to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. It's more about walking than it is talking. That's it. That's it. to this message from part one of our series, The Greatest Generation at Covenant Church. We hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us where you can invest in life change through giving or find more impactful sermon audio just like this.